standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born, and will bring many back to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realised he had seen a vision in the temple, for he he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. She said, The Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace. Now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. 
Isn't that cool? It's an awesome, awesome story, which is true. And, you know, at the, at the beginning of Advent, it's a, it's a great time to open our Bibles and to, to really enter into this story ourselves and to, the, and to pl- try to place ourselves within the, within the story of Jesus' birth. Now, it's, it's normal when we read a story or perhaps when we watch a movie, isn't it? It's normal to begin at the start. Or maybe are there some of us here who like to open a book in the middle, perhaps even at the end, just to find out where it's heading, how it ends. Kate, is that you? Yes, that's, that's me, she cried. What if we talk about films for a moment? Would you rather watch the trilogy of The Lord of the Rings from the start, from the middle, or from the end? Well, I'm, I'm sure that any, any real Lord of the Rings fan would say that, well, you know, each of these movies is great on their own. You know, great and thrilling to watch on their own. Any true Lord of the Rings fan would say that we would miss so much of the meaning and the layers in the, in the story and the power of the story if, if we failed to, if we, if we didn't watch and know what happened at the start and if we didn't follow this through um, to the end. And I say this because this will be all the more true for us today, believe it or not, as we enter this epic story of, of, of the gospel, not in fact, believe it or not, at the start today, but in the middle with these two brief chapters that tell of the moments that led to Jesus' birth. We, we enter the story in the middle. So it's important for us to know as we think about what we've heard just now that Luke had this whole great epic of a story in his mind as he wrote. And this this great epic story flows through the verses that Luke Luke shares, like echoes that reveal much more of the power and the meaning of Jesus' birth. Echoes. But I should also say that Luke doesn't exactly spell this out. As we go with sort of big signs and lights across the page that say, this part of the story is an echo of Genesis chapters 12 to 17, or of the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. No, Luke doesn't do that. Instead, our challenge as we read is to, is to listen and to look for these echoes and, and sort of waves that, that roll across the sea as, as we go on. And to remember the story that's come before, to be familiar with that story, to look out for these echoes as we read. Now I also want to say as we start that for me, I've got to say Luke is is my favourite. Luke's the best, I reckon. I, I love how Luke tells the story of Jesus. Because I love how he highlights, um, you know, and how it's expressed through Jesus' life, God's incredible love and welcome that's expressed towards the no ones, towards the nobodies, and to the poor and to the people of our world who are so often just cast to the side and left out. I love how Luke just highlights this aspect of who God is in his book. And we, we see this, we will see this as a theme that runs right through Luke's book, and then into his sequel, Beyond, which is called the Book of Acts. 
It's one continuous story that tells of the incredible change and impact that the, real, that the arrival of Jesus brings to our lives and to our world, especially to those who the world looks down on um, and, who, and, who, and, who, and, and which the world ignores. And I guess this to me, this, this, this theme that runs through Luke makes sense when I remember the words of, of Paul, who was one of Luke's friends. And Paul writes this, he says, remember, remember what the church was, remember who you were, what you were when you were called. He said, not many of us were wise when we were called. Not many of us had power, not many of us were of noble birth, but God chose us and God continues to choose us still, even when by the standards of the world. We might be thought of as being fools, uh, or as being weak, or small, or rejected, or or despised, or whatever it might be. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And God did this, of course, to reveal what God is like, and to show us who God is, that, that God is a God of infinite power and of love. We want to know more about, we want to know more of that God today, don't we? And so as we enter the world of this gospel now, what we've just heard, I want to give us a challenge. I want to give us all a challenge, which is, which is to be a little bit like a detective, okay? And to imagine that we're looking to see and to find where is God at work? Where is God at work? Um, you know, where and with whom do we expect to find God at work as we enter this scene now? And likewise, where and with whom might we expect to find God at work today in our, in our own city, in our, in our own town here today? That's what I want us to explore. And the story, as we just, as we just heard, um, thanks Kate for, for sharing that with me. The story begins like this. It says, In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest by the name of Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. And as we heard before, both of them were righteous in God's sight and followed all of God's laws without fault. It says they were blameless. (laughs) Now, If our number one goal is to find out where God's at work and with whom God's at work, surely this would be a good place for us to start, right? Here is a couple who we would very much want to talk to and to see. We may even want to invite them to come and speak at our church and to hear what they do that works. For sure, they're obviously wise and good. And they're both from priestly pedigrees in homes. Is that not true? And so it looks like from the start that we have struck gold in our search. As a bit of background, it would be good for us to know as we think about Advent that this priest and his wife lived at a time when it had been some four or five hundred years since the people of God had even so much as heard a peep 
from God or, or a prophet of God speak. And so they were all at this time very much asking the same question as ourselves. Where is God? And, and when will our God come to bring change? Isn't there so much of our world that we would love to see God change today? When will God save? They cried. And into this scene comes this man and his wife who along with all of their ancestors before, have spent the whole of their lives training and learning about how to hear from God, how to pray, and, and, how to, and, and to know about the stories of God's wonderful acts to save. They've given their lives to this task. <laughs> I love the meaning of their names. Does anyone know the meaning of their names? This is important here too, because it helps to build this plot and to get us to think, yes, surely here is the place where God's at work. So for Zechariah, what does his name mean? It means God remembers, or for effect, God never, ever will forget. God never forgets. God remembers. And that's true. You know, God will never, ever forget about you or forget about us. But the role of a priest is to remember and to live out their lives in the faith that this is true in every kind of way. Of course, the Bible says that through Jesus we are all priests of God. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2. But anyway, can, you, can we imagine a couple like this who are wise And who are good, blameless, is what it says. And who have given all their lives to the service of God and to the reading of God's word, the remembering of God's mighty and miraculous acts to save. And then all of a sudden, when it mattered, the priest drops the ball. Forgot the meaning of his wife's name. Means God is my promise. God is my oath. And together they, and together they all, they, they, they observed all of God's laws without fault. But as we continue to think about where we would expect to see and to encounter God at work in this story and in our, in our own city here today, Luke continues to raise our expectations here of something great as we now move from the who is involved, to the where. And so where in this city, in this place, would we expect to find God at work? In a church? Well, in those days, from verse 8, our, our minds are drawn to this, to this one place, the one place at the time where we would most hope and expect to encounter God. When as we read, God remembers, was on duty, and he was serving as the priest before God in the temple of the Lord. And he was chosen by lot to be the one priest on that day out of all the other priests to go in while all the other worshippers and priests were waiting outside and were giving this time to God in prayer. Now, can you imagine their prayers and their hopes? Perhaps from Psalm 83, 
Oh God, do not remain silent or stand away, but please, Lord, come near to your servant in the temple here today. Perhaps from Psalm 90, relent, Lord, how long will it be? And in this way, God never forgets was entering the temple as they prayed. Now at this point, there's one key piece of information that I've overlooked. And do you know what that might be? It's that both God remembers and God is my promise we're old. And they've not yet been able to have kids which in those days was, was both sad and, and it was a great source of shame. But I wonder why would Luke all of a sudden interrupt his flow and all of our great expectations about what this wonderful, godly pair will, will do with an almighty but. But. It seems to sort of cancel all that he'd said before. But. Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were old but we have lots of buts here today we have lots of buts in our lives don't we but I know my children will be giggling too right now but of course as we're soon to find out it is all the more what sets the scene with an echo that should ring all kinds of bells about the story that Luke tells. And it makes me wonder, why couldn't God remembers see that, his, that he and his wife's own story was an echo of a much greater um, and bigger gospel story that goes right and all the way back to the start? Back in Genesis chapter 12 to 17, God makes a promise to one man and, and his wife, which was repeated time and time again, who could not have kids. And yet, even though, in fact, they were old as well, they would because God said. And no word from God will ever fail. And because God said that through their child and through the children who would continue in this promise, God said that all peoples on earth would be blessed. This is the, the echo that we're supposed to see. Now this was obviously a huge promise for one man and his wife to receive. But Luke wants us to know that whatever was happening with this priest... And with his wife, that has got everything to do with the fact that it's, it's an echo and a, and a ripple of the much greater story of God's plan, of God's work among people that had come before. What's interesting to know is that in Genesis chapter 17, after many years of waiting, this man literally falls on his face and he laughs and he says to God, will I finally get a son when I'm a hundred and will my wife bear a child when she's 90? And yet the miracle of the story is that she does and they do. 
And so the question that we're exploring again is where and with whom do we expect to see God at work? With a couple who are 90 and 100 years old? And I guess as we think about the stories told by Luke, what kind of difference does it make that God has entered our world in the life and the person of God's son, who we remember here today? And in response to these questions, Luke really has set the scene. And he starts off his response that will run through his book and then into the next with the story of the church. And in all of this, the most important question for us to ask is, and so what kind of difference does this make? What kind of difference does Jesus make? What kind of difference does it make that the kingdom of God has come and is already at work at work in our world, even if it's not yet fully here? Well, in this passage, it's clear that through the message of the angel and, th- and through all that happened next, even with our fearful and forgetful priest and his wife, God really was at work. And it's clear that the promise of God was really at work through them, even though in the moment our faithful priest dropped the ball because he, he did not believe what the angel said. He did not believe that it, that it could be true. But it all still helps to form a wonderful picture of God's love and of God's grace. You know, that even still, when we do not remember that God is faithful to God's promise and to God's oath. Now we've all heard how forgetful God remembers could not speak. Because at least in part, he of all people on that day should have known and and should have seen what was happening. He should have known the story. But in verse 24, God is still faithful to God's promise. As God is my promise becomes pregnant after all. But she knew without any doubt at all that it was the Lord, didn't she? And that it was the Lord who had taken away her disgrace, not anything that she could have done herself. But would you believe it, that this is all just a prelude? This is all just a prelude and a sort of raising of the curtain for what what comes next. As we get back to our question of, of where and with whom in our city and our world we might find God at work. And I have to say that you know, for, for all those who are new to this story, it's as if Luke has kind of set a trap. And he's done this by encouraging us to think that, yes, of all people in places in the world, that we would, yes, expect to find God with the priest. That we would expect to find God in the temple where he works, which is beyond where any normal person can see. And yes, to a certain extent, this is true because God really was at work with this unbelieving priest. But what happens now, Luke wants to ask, if the real and even bigger work of God is in a place and with a person where we might never have thought to look or where we might never have thought to go 
What happens if the kingdom of God is even more at work in a place like this? You know, like, for example, what if we find that God has chosen to be at work with the person who has no priestly or Christian background or pedigree and almost no knowledge of God's word because they can't even read? Because they're living in a poor rural village and they're only just a girl, barely older than my kids, barely older than my sons. What then? What then if this is the place where we find God at work? And how should that affect how we look and how, how, we, how, we, how we live? You know, a lot of us, I think, can be tempted to leave all of the God stuff to the priests. You know, the people who we see up the front. Leave all of the God stuff to the priests. You know, to the kind of people who at least look as if they've all got it sorted and got it all worked out, got it all, holding it all together and looking good. You know, they can pray all the prayers and they seem to know all the verses of the Bible off by heart. They seem to know what they're doing. So we leave all the priestly stuff to them. And so it's easy to think that surely God will never choose to speak through me. Because I'm not one of them. I'm not one of those priests. But as we move Towards the end, Luke shifts the spotlight to a place and to a person just like this. There's no priestly background or pedigree who most certainly couldn't read. Barely regarded as a person at all in those days. Perhaps 12, 13, 15 or 16 maybe at the most years of age. We know this almost for sure because in those days it was normal and supposedly important to marry off the girls when they were young, all the more in a small rural town such as this. Hardly even on the map. You know, later one of Jesus' friends to be would ask with doubt and surprise, but what good can come from there? What good can come from there? Because it was that kind of place. Recently in my holidays, my family and I had a night in Kurao, during which time we enjoyed an obligatory dinner at the Kurao pub. We figured that was part of our initiation to the south. But at the pub, I could not help but notice how all the proud memorabilia, I couldn't help but notice all the proud memorabilia of their hometown boy on the wall, Richie McCaw. At least there's a connection with his mum. He did play for, for the club at one point, the Kurao Club. But I guess, in no offence, I, I reckon the same question could be asked of that place as well. You know, what good can come from there? And to be, to be honest, it may be one of the last places I'd think to look, you know, over a meal at the Kurao pub. But that's where Richie McCaw came from. Did you know? <laughs> He played for Kurao Club. But after Jesus, 
you know, that I need, I need to, maybe I need to be asking myself, well, why not? Why not from Kurel Club? And what might that mean for the way that I move through my life in faith? By the way, in his story of the gospel, Luke will invite us to ask this question time and time again. And on almost every single page as he highlights the difference that Jesus makes and that Jesus brings to the people and in the places where God is seen and where God is at work. As we heard before, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel to that place, Nazareth. Where? Nazareth in Galilee, to a virgin who is pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David, her name was Mary. And as, as we've all heard before, the angel went to Mary and said, Hello. Greetings to you who are highly favoured by the Lord. The Lord is with you. Where is the Lord? The Lord is with Mary in this far-flung place in Galilee. Now, I don't know about you, but what strikes me straight away is how different this greeting is to the greeting of the angel to the priest. You know, she was just a poor and powerless Little girl, who was no doubt mostly dressed in rags, who could not read and who, and, and who would not have gone to school and who lived in a town or a village where no one would have ever thought to look for God in a world that was run by men. So it's no surprise that Mary wondered what kind of greeting might this be? But it was the kind of greeting that from then on would turn all of our world upside down and would change all of our lives as well. You are favoured by God, the angel said. But what? Who? Me? And we can ask that question of ourselves. Me? And through her son, Because she said yes, we need to know that this same favour rests on every single one of us here today. As I remember again the words of Paul that God loves to choose those who the world thinks are small, those who the world thinks are weak, those who the world thinks are full, and those who are so often rejected and cast out and left to the side by the standards of the world. I am not enough. You might think. But the word of God says that that's not true. Because the kingdom of God works by grace. By pouring out God's power and God's anointing upon the weak, upon the poor, and on all those who are crying out for help because we have no way of fulfilling our purpose or God's dreams on our own. It's like a vacuum and the air just rushes in. The Spirit of God rushes into those places where we are in need. It's the way that God works. And God would absolutely love to be able to do that for you today. Now we know what the angels said about this child who would be born. 
We'll sing about, we've sung about that already and we'll sing about that more. But as we think about these words, they're on the screen, what might this say to us today about the places and the people where we might look and hope to find God and to join in God's work ourselves? What, the, what might this be saying to you today about who you are and how you join in God's work? And what might this say about where we have put limits in our minds about where and with whom God can speak and can be active in our city, in our church, and among the people who we know and among the people who we don't? And then look at the way these two different people respond. One with questions that highlight his doubt. And the other with just an open curiosity that is willing to trust. Like a child willing to step out of that boat. Willing to trust that no word from God will ever fail. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just longing to rush into the vacuums in those spaces in our lives. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, not us. And as we think about those two different responses, I want to ask, how will we respond? How will you respond? As for Mary, she just said, well, I'm the Lord's servant, so may your word to me be fulfilled. What is God's word to you today? Let's pray. Lord, today you have given us just a hint of what it means that your kingdom has already begun to come on earth. As we've remembered the change that the news of your son, our Messiah, means. Yes, Lord, in Mary's words, you have brought down the rulers and those in power from their thrones. And you lift up by the anointing of your spirit all people who will put their trust in you. Lord, let us put our trust in you. Lord Jesus, let us put our trust in you and to be able to see where you are at work, in our homes, in our schools, where we are at work, on our streets, and yes, even, Lord, in our church. And we shape our life as a community in the ways of God. Now, if you have never received Jesus as your Lord, or if you would love to receive the anointing of God's Spirit for the first time or yet again, then I would love to invite you to, to pray with me now and to receive that anointing as well. If you want to stand, you stand as a response. You may like to just open out your hands. Lord Jesus, because of what you have done, I am free. 
My sin is no obstacle, Lord, to, to, to your spirit being able to fill me today. In Jesus' name, I ask, I invite you to fill my life with your spirit. Pour out your spirit upon me. Fill those places in my life that are empty, weak, poor and in need. And would you fill us as a church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.